There we go. There we go. Sorry, I forgot to turn it on. Yeah, Thursday's my long day. I'd like, I'm, you can tell I'm getting old. I'm like seven o'clock. Wow. <laughs> Bedtime for me. Uh, yeah. They, the yeah. Anyway, I won't. I won't tell you about my my schedule. Uh, like I'm gonna be like, well, you know what I have to do. It's it's wonderful actually. So uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 29. Is it? Uh, well, I will go into it. Greek class starts at 7.30 a.m. Yeah, oh, yeah. So that's the only time we could get together. So, you know, you're translating and doing all that kind of thing. So you're using your brain. Then I got theology class. Then I come here and I work here to get all this done. And and it just my now my brain is just mush. Uh, like, hi. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, yeah. No, but we'll get through it. So uh, let's uh, start with prayer, and let's thank God for the wonderful opportunity that we have to hear and study His Word, which is always just so wonderful. We thank Him and are grateful to Him for revelation and for the life that He's given us and for His amazing grace that continues to uh, support us and lead us along, uh, knowing full well that we are weak and He is strong. So... Uh, with that in mind, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, we are before you as grateful children, uh, grateful for you, and uh, we praise you as we will see tonight that you tell us to praise you, and so we will. Um, we do not or should not wait until we feel like it, but we should do it and then you know, look into the recesses of our heart for why we should. Uh, the reason we do, Father, is because you are magnificent. You are, you are stronger and wiser and, and more good and righteous than we could fathom. But we know, Father, that you are all these things to an infinite degree and that you have given us those things, by means of Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way that we could ever have earned them or even known them, never mind find them. But yet righteousness, justice, and everything you have given to us by your grace and your love through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we ask, Father, that you would, uh, through your word, Open our hearts to the reality of these things, the reality of you, that we may, may be set free from ourselves, from our sin, from this world, and to be enveloped in you and to find our rest there. You know, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As a, is, that, there, is that buzz new or am I, am I getting buzzes all the time now in my ears? You don't hear buzz from that speaker? Yeah, okay. It's good. Having an old congregation is uh it's got its benefits. So anyway. <laughs> right, that's what everybody's saying. What? I hear a buzz all the time. I was talking to Alan about it yesterday. He was asking me about the microphone. I'm like, I think it worked itself out. The microphone sounds fine. I'm I'm hearing a buzz, but let it go. Uh but I was telling him he's like, Well, I hear a buzz all the time in my ears and I'm like, Yeah, I think that's true for about all of us. <laughs> so anyway, uh, 
we're, we'll look at, we're going to finish up here uh, this, not, not, we're, we're just started to look at praying the Psalms. This is something I'll, I'll spend probably another week or so on. Uh, and because I, I'm, it, for me, it, it's become so important and so rewarding to me personally, but it's something that I have not seen before nor taught before. And for that, I don't want to go, I don't want to hurry it. I know the doctrine of prayer is, of course, is, as all doctrines do, when I start them, I think I know how big they're going to be, and they're always bigger. But um, in, in the Psalms, we're going we're to look at several themes that are frequent in the Psalms, and these are things that we should pray about. Uh, and the first one we're going to look at is creation, God as creator. And uh, this, I think it's something that we overlook. It's, it's very easy to overlook because we're created, we're in his creation, and of course we see it every day. And we, I think we take a lot of things for granted. Um, but before we hop into that again, we looked at two psalms yesterday. We'll look at two more today. And there's, general, there's four major psalms that are about God as creator, 8, uh, 19, 29, and 104. Uh, we've, we looked at 8 and 19 yesterday. But first, I want to remind, what is the big idea of praying the Psalms? Why should we do it? And, you know, as we're, and I want to continue to remind us about that. And first, uh, foremost, the Psalms teach us how to pray. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And he gave them the Lord's Prayer. And we have hundred, you know, uh, hundred, not every Psalm is a prayer, but... You know, at the end of Psalm 72, as we saw, it says, here ends the prayers of David. So you'd say at least the first 72 are considered prayers by God. Many more are. A song without music is generally, is definitely a prayer. Uh, any psalm that speaks to God or about God be turned into prayer. And so, and so as it is um, for sure that the psalms are God's prayer book. Uh, and so, therefore, they're prayers that people have come up with of, on their own. It's not like, you know, like David got unconscious and then he woke up and saw a psalm in front of him. He, like the inspired writers of Scripture, but, but David, in his inspiration, is writing his prayers to God. Just like if you sat down and wrote, you say, I'm going to write out what I'm praying to you, Father. And, and God took these and put them in his word. So we know that these prayers in the Psalms are prayers that God has put his stamp of approval on. Or that he's telling us, look, these are prayers that I consider good. And that should be a real signal to us. So rather than groping for, you know, what should I say? And it's not that you can only pray the word of God like as it's written. You... You've got to understand it and put your own words to it. And plus, you pray, as we know, for your own needs and wants and desires. And, and Because if you're just reciting Scripture to God, that's not a personal relationship. Uh, but the Psalms will show us what to pray for, uh, uh, the, what to avoid in prayer. And, and it's always centered on the will of God. And throughout the Psalms, we have the, uh, at times, heart-wrenching emotion of the people of God in their struggle with life and trying to go, get through that struggle with the Lord. 
And that's poured out here. So their, their very experiences are poured out here. Their victories and the joy that they get and the rejoicing they give to God are here. Their failures are here and how they deal with that before God. And so, as one writer put it, I think it was um, Aristobulus. Is that how you say his name? He's one of the early church fathers. He said that the Psalms are, is an anatomy of the human heart. And that's the way he looked at the book, or one of the ways. Uh, that the heart strings of the saints uh, are here and, and written out with imagery and poetry and emotion. So the Psalms teach us how to pray. The Psalms train us to respond to biblical truth uh, and mature our emotions because it's some very emotional stuff in the Psalms. And I think for, for some, and I know I was you know, taught this or told this, and I think some of you were as well, that you better leave your emotions aside. And you know, I, from what I gathered from some things that I was taught is that I shouldn't be emotional at all. And yet this is a personal relationship with God who is almighty and who loves you and is for you. And how can it not be emotional? But of course we can let our emotions get carried away. And it can't be all emotion. So how much emotion? And of course, as we know, and I, I look at my five-year-old and go, you are not emotionally mature. <laughs> and I, th- I think I have in my mind thought, imagine if you acted like that if you were like 30 years old and like you were at the supermarket in public and like throwing a fit. They'd lock you up, right? But it's a kid. You say, that's yeah, a kid. Emotionally, we, as, adult, as humans, we have to mature emotionally. So we control our emotions, but they don't go away. Life, it'd be terrible without them. Life would be just meaningless without them. And so to God, to God, of course, there's a response of emotion. You know where emotion is in the Psalms? It's not just there, but there's a lot of it there. And it teaches us how to mature our emotions spiritually and therefore mature our personality. If our minds are running astray and we want to pray to God immediately what our desires are right now and ask him, and, and say we're out of line, a look at a couple of psalms will take your straying mind and reorient it to where it needs to be. So will the Lord's Prayer. Just yesterday I had this thing on my mind. Actually, it was a confession that I wanted to make to God and I was jumping into it to talk to him about the thing that I needed to confess And isn't it great, I think it's great, that Jesus put confess our sins after you address the Father and His kingdom and His will. Right? You don't have to say the confession right at the front. I mean, if that were a requirement, Jesus would have put it there. But we do confess them. But the way that Jesus has it there is we're not just... Like what I used to do is just think up some sin so I could talk to God. Be like, uh, probably arrogant, so I'd just say it. And then I'm like, the door, you know, the he's listening now. Uh, but when you're, you know, when you're, when you're talking to God about your sins, it's Jesus makes it a, a one of the six petitions is that it gets to the heart of what really are your sins. Rather than just saying, yeah, God, I'm a sinner, all right, let's talk. It's our Father who is holy in heaven, your kingdom, your will. You provide for me my needs, and here are my sins. 
And when you talk to him about your sins, confessing them, you will find and see the patterns of sin. And you know what you're doing when you do that is because, as Jesus said, evil hates the light. It loves the darkness. You're taking your, and we'll see this tonight too, you're taking your sins and you're bringing them to the light to have God annihilate them. I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about overcoming them. Because the things that we keep secret in recess, the things that we allow to fester, those are the places that we go to. There are areas of weakness. They have to be overcome. And the starting point of overcoming them is confession openly, fully to the Father about what they are. And then you can speak to him about the root problem. There's a reason sin is a a manifestation of a deeper problem. What is that deeper problem? And with God's help, when He is, it's part of His will to help you with this, is to help you to overcome. Uh, so, um, reorienting our straying minds, breaking us of our individuality—that's another thing in the American, in the West, Christianity is an, is so often very individualistic, because that's the Western mind. We're individuals. Uh, and what we know, you see, because you know how many people have prayed these psalms before you have? That's millions of people. Not to mention when you're praying them or, you know, speaking to God about them, you're alongside David and Moses and Solomon and Asaph and the others who wrote. You're with them. They are, that's, these are their words. Uh, and, and all the others that have come before us, that are in the church, that have used this as God's prayer book, and we're praying with them. And it orients us to, you know, what are we're not individualistic in the church. Individualism really helps us in some ways, but it hurts us in other ways. And in Christianity, it can really hurt us because we're members of a body who are perfectly fit together, who are to serve one another and love one another and build up one another. And if you're an individual, individualistic, it's becomes a barrier to that. So the, the Psalms, praying the Psalms breaks us of our individuality. And when our hearts grow cold towards God, which they do, I was thinking, I was thinking today about how this happens. And it, when it happens for me, it's either a person or an event that gets me grumpy. And then I get bitter. And then I judge. And you know, there's, the order of this isn't set in stone. Sometimes it's judge, bitter, grumpy. Sometimes it's grumpy, bitter judge, uh, but it's generally those things, and, I, my, and I, what we do when we commit our sins and whatever our weaknesses are, we draw into ourselves, and we grow cold towards people, and, you know, as Jesus said, you do it to them, you did it to me. If you're cold to them, I guarantee you you're cold to God at that time, and then you read and pray a psalm. And it thaws you right out. It's, a, it's amazing how it works. <clears throat> All right, so, to the creation. God is the sole creator, and many psalms summon, summon us to bring him honor, praise, and thanksgiving. Do you know that we're told to praise God? And I've, there, there is not a passage in the Bible that says, well, when you feel like it, praise God. There's passage after passage that says, praise him, give him glory, uh, uh, give him honor. 
and not one of them says when you feel like it. And so what this means is we have to do this all the time, whether we feel like it or not. And you find that when you uh, say, all right, you know what? In my prayer, I'm going to praise God. And you know that this, this isn't just, all right, God, I praise you. Moving on. It's not just saying the words. It's not even just like lifting up your hands. It's not like some bodily. It's an actually from your heart, you honor God for who he is. And when you're, if you're going to praise God in prayer, you have to think about who he is. And then you know what? When you think about that, because all of us have enough knowledge of God in his word that when we think about him, yeah, now we find that, you know what? We are in the mood to praise him. And, and so we see this here. Psalm 8, 19, 29, and 104. Psalm 8 was about creation, of course. That's what these, are, these psalms are about. But then in Psalm 8, and not one, of, not one psalm is about creation only. There's not one psalm that is about, or here's creation, I'm creator, end of psalm. No, it's here's creator, creation, that's a magnificent, and then... Yeah, it just went off. That's awesome. Yeah, whatever. Ah, I just love it. That's the whole. Did you hear that? That was the Holy Spirit. So it turned off the speaker hum. Anyway, uh, and even the mic sounds better. There, now let's. Uh, where was my thought? I tell you, my brain is mush tonight. I can't. I can't get off the rails, or it'll get way off the rails. Um, the the uh, the creation, and then something attached to it. In Psalm 8, it's the creation and then God's plans for mankind as ruler of his creation. And that's a whole depth of wisdom in that man was designed to run things. We fell and we couldn't get it back. And all we did was make a mess of everything. And then Satan became the ruler of the world but then God became a man and the Son of God establishes his kingdom until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So, all of that is in Psalm 8. And it's all tied to uh, the evidence of God's power to do whatever he wills is depicted as the heavens. Look at the heavens. All right, so, when I left that, I could see the... I don't, I've forgotten most of my constellations. I used to know a bunch. But when I leave in the morning, now now that it's closer to winter, it's dark out and I can see stars. And as I'm getting into my truck, I can see Orion is right there. And um, I thought, because I'm studying this, I'm like, how magnificent. You know, how, how many times did we just barely look up? You see a few stars, whatever. You don't have to know the constellations, but you know that there is a magnificent universe out there that is, mag- that is huge. And what does it speak of? That God has made man and crowned him with glory and honor. On this little planet, little tiny us, he wants us to rule with him. And there's no way we could do it. Oh, we did, we, he, he handed the planet over to us. Look what we did with it. We handed it over to Satan. And he's even using us to screw it up even more. Like we're a mess. But yet God has still fulfilled his promise 
through the one man, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, once, like Psalm 8, Psalm 19, get kind of stuck in your head, when you look at the sun and the stars and the moon, those thoughts are going to pop into your head. It's not going to be just the stars and the sun and the moon. It's going to be that God made that. And it's only a minute or two to think about, well, God made me and crowned me with glory and honor, and the only way he could do that was to sacrifice his son. Boy, and that sets the morning right. It sets your day right when those thoughts are planted. That's Psalm 8. Psalm 19, the creation, the the star in Psalm 19 is the sun. You get it? There was a pun there. Uh, and uh, the sun is related to God's law. So in Psalm 8, we have us, man created to rule. In Psalm 19, we have man under the law. And as the heavens... That's bad. As the heavens and the sun goes through the sky, so the law touches every man. And as the sun is our life, so is the law. That's Psalm 19. Uh, now, Psalm 29, uh, this is one of my favorites, because I love storms. I love, uh, well, you know, of course, if I was caught at sea in a storm and about to die, I wouldn't love them. But the, you know, there's not too many thunderstorms out here in Oregon, which is kind of a shame. It's one of the things I miss. But in New England, there, there'd be, especially in the summertime, just some wicked thunderstorms. And they were, they were just wonderful. Um, and, and in Psalm 29, we have a wicked thunderstorm. Uh, and this is the Lord's power in a terrifying storm that elicits glorifying him who can alone give power and peace to his people. And there's so much to this psalm uh, that, and it's a nice short one, but there's so much here. And there's a little bit in the background of this psalm that we would miss, uh, but that's why we God gives the pastor to the church so we can look at this stuff for you. So Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Now, sons of the mighty, this phrase, very similar to Banaha Elohim, if you've heard that phrase, it, it most likely refers to angels. What it's also is a sarcastic dig at the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites are the people that the Canaanites are those that were supplanted. Now it's crackling through the speaker. Hold on. I'm not on that cable. It's my technical expertise is to shut it off and shut it back on. We'll give it a shot. Test. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the Canaanites named their pantheon this same phrase. Right? Their language is similar to Hebrew. It's Semitic origin. And the Canaanites named the pantheon the uh, sons of the mighty. So, and we're going to see, this is the first dig at the Canaanite religion, and then there's going to be another one. So, ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, you angels. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Now, holy array means priestly garments. 
So the holy array is the, the clean white garments that the priests wore. Then he says in verse 3, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Now, I should have, now that I think about it, I should have put up a picture of a cedar in Lebanon. Uh, I've done it before. They are enormous trees. <clears throat> and the voice of the Lord breaks them into splinters. Yes, uh, verse 5 again, yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. And Lebanon is north of Israel. This is uh, Syria. It's a Canaanite, well, originally Canaanite. Uh, and they, they are very proud if you've seen it in the scripture multiple times, the, the cedars of Lebanon are something that they're very proud of. So in the psalm, it speaks to the pride of people. And what is God doing to these cedars with his voice? He's smashing them to bits. Then he says he makes Lebanon skip like a calf. That is an earthquake. And Syrian, which is uh, a term for Mount Hermon, and I'll show you on a map in a second. Mount Hermon is the biggest mountain in Israel. It's way up north. Like a young wild ox, the voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Again, it's an earthquake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calf, and that would uh, soon be out of fear, and strips the forest bare, and in his temple, everything says glory. Now, this temple would probably refer to the place of angels um, since this, you know, that, and it seems to fit the context. Whatever, though. It's either angels or men, but probably angels that are saying glory. Uh, this, is a, this is about the Lord. Right? It's not about us. Uh, and so, and then... Once we have this storm, the voice of the Lord is this storm that destroys everything in its path. And it speaks of his strength. And then in verse 10, we have the flood. Now talk about a storm. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. So... God is it's revealed and brought to our remind it's brought to our memory remembrance that not only can God make a storm that can bust trees into pieces but God can flood the earth which he did and we're going to see this in Psalm 104 he says the same thing it and beautifully in Psalm 104 it talks of God rebuking the flood and then it receding and then here comes the land and and it gives it its boundaries, and it will. And then it says in Psalm 104, He's not going to flood the world again. And so this this power of God. And then in verse 11, now it comes to us: the Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. Okay. So if the Lord's storm can make a storm, that and the storm is His voice, right? So we've seen this: the Word of God, the voice of God. Uh, that created the world, right? The word of God is alive and powerful. The voice of God or the words of God created the world. When, it's not, when God says, let there be light, there's light. He doesn't say, let there be light, and then turn on a switch. When he says it, it happens. And, and that's the power of his word. Now, 
The power of his word is revealed here, the power of his voice. And then he says, I'll give strength to my people. Right? Where does this strength come from? But where do we think strength comes from? And we have to be straight on this. Now, we all know it it's comes from God, and, and definitely we have to know that. But uh, what we're going to, and this is where this ties us into praying this. Am I sure that I am relying on God alone for his strength? His word, his way. Am I, and, and that's how you gain his strength, is you do things his way. Right? You don't just close your eyes and say, give me strength, and he just he hits you with his magic wand and you're strong. No, you follow him. You follow his way. You follow his word by faith, and then you're strengthened. So um, we have to be sure because we're so easily sucked into the lie that I can do this, I can do this. And we also have to be careful that we don't say, well, God does everything and I do nothing. Because that's the pendulum swings too far to the other direction. We have to do something. Actually, we do the decision making and the thinking and the praying and the and applying faith. We do all of that. It's we as we do it properly and rightly with faith. Then we know that the strength of God, the power of God, is going to give us the strength and power to accomplish His will. All right. So it's not I do nothing. It's not let go and let God. But I know where my power is. And my power is in His will. And look how strong He is. So the first stanza calls us to praise God for who He is. <clears throat> Just for who He is now, what, not what He can give us. So by praying the Psalms, we would be reminded to do this frequently. Praying on our own without the Psalms, we might only... Praise God for who He is when we feel like it. You know, when we get emotional and we find, you know, God has done something or come through for us and we get welled up with emotion and we praise Him. But when's the next time that happens? Oh, it could be a long time. And you've gone years maybe without, pray, without saying, God, I praise you for who you are. And it, and it gets beyond just saying that, right? Because... Here's, this is another beautiful thing about prayer. You know you're in your inner room with God. Can I lie to Him? Doesn't He see everything that's going on in this insane asylum that's my brain? Yes, He does. And if I say, I praise you, God, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm just saying the words, I can't lie to Him. But I can sure talk to Him about why I don't want to praise Him. Find the real issue. And so that's why he tells us, praise me. All right, so only with God does it work that way. This, this psalm is entirely praise. There's no request at all. There's no asking God for anything. It's praising him through and through. It's about the person of God and his works. In my life, and more simply, his greatness and his grace. The ones who worship God are in holy array. Here's another thing. It's what we just talked about. It means that we have to be holy. Now, the, the, ancient, the, the pagan priests and the priests in Israel, when they did their work in the temples, and there's a temple to Baal up there in Lebanon, 
Uh, we found it archaeologically. Um, even their priests, the pagan priests, dressed in white, nice and clean. But that's just a covering. So for us, what does holy array mean if we're going to praise God? It means that we have to be white and clean. We have to be holy. And so we can't really praise him if our hearts are filled with sin, selfishness, bitterness, anger, you know, fed up with life, whatever. You say, ah, fine, I praise you, God. Thanks. Thanks for this stupid life. <laughs> you know, it's, it, that's, you can't. You can't. So we know that through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, we have been cleansed. Therefore, we are before him holy. So if we confess, if there's something there and we confess it, and now that it's gone now, you know, we're not, the bitterness is gone, the, the self-centeredness is gone, and now it's just me and my Lord, and I'm in holy array. And why is the bitterness gone? Because he has forgiven me, and I know it. Why is the anger gone? Because I know it's wrong and it, it, does, it, you know, it has nothing to do with who I am as a new creature in Christ. I have no right to it. And I confess it and let it go. Repent of it, meaning I ch- I'm, it's gone. I've turned my back on it. I'm not, I'm not angry at that person anymore. I was, but now I realize my error and now I love them. I love them with God's love. So, God's awesome purity inspires us so much that we choose for it. It's the only reason we do. Well, also, the other reason we do is that God has made us new creatures and the Holy Spirit is in us. And so, uh, there's a supernatural reason why you want to be living. I'm talking about living or experiential sanctification, living pure. Uh, So, God's awesome purity inspires us to be like him. I mean, he's wonderful. But we, even if you are thoroughly inspired, you struggle to walk in it. And you know, and when you want, if you really want to be with God daily in, in purity of walk, walking in a manner worthy of your calling, when you really sink your teeth into that and you really want to do that, you find out how awful you are. That's when you find out how awful you are. It's an eye-opener. You had no idea how absolutely rotten you are. And then, so I give up. It's the craziest thing. We should. On paper, (laughs) you should just throw in the towel. But we don't. In fact, we have more resolution because the Word of God tells us that the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God is all around us. And that he bids us to go on. And that leads us to admire him and worship him even more. We'll see where this goes. So, we all grow grow to a place where we praise God for who he is. Not for what he can give us. If he gives it, fine. If he takes it away, fine. If I have extra, I can't wait to be gracious with it because that's what he is. 
<clears throat> so his greatness is depicted in this incredible thunderstorm and his grace in the power and peace he gives to his people. This God should just mow me over. How could I even stand in his presence? But God yet has given grace and power to his people. <clears throat> and we further see here uh, how he has done that. And again, it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Which, you know, Jesus Christ is, the Messiah is not here in this psalm. But with the rest of the revelation, even of the Old Testament, we know that how is God going to bring peace to his people? Meaning, how is he going to fulfill the covenant promises he has made to his people? And it certainly ain't going to come from any human king or any human other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's greatness is going to do something here. And it's a storm that comes in. And notice that the storm is not in Jerusalem. It's not in uh, Galilee. It is in Lebanon. God's storm is in Lebanon. Uh, and so here it is. All right. You see the little storm I drew up there? I had fun doing that. That was my little arts and crafts project today. So, uh, <clears throat> where that red arrow is pointing, that's Mount Hermon. I circled it in red. And that, that area up there, it's north of Israel. Uh, that's Lebanon and Syria is right next door. And um, these nations, these peoples, were in constant conflict with Israel throughout their history. They claimed other gods, and many in Israel worshipped those gods, right? Did Israel have a problem with idol worship? It, insanely. They claimed other gods, and Israel worshipped those gods. And I can only imagine, as I look at this, because in light of worshipping God or glorifying God in holy array, meaning, <clears throat> I've got to be in a place of holiness. And for Israel, if you're going to go into the temple, what do you have to do? There's sacrifice, there's blood, and then there's cleansing and the labor, and then, and, only, and if you're a priest, then and only then can you go in. It's a whole process. If you go in dirty, unworthy, you're dead. So how do we get in? Well, there is no, there is no in for us. We're in. We're always in because of the blood of Christ. And so as we're worshiping God, you know, if we're going to really walk with God, <clears throat> meaning worship Him, not just like on a Sunday, raise my hands up and sing a song and say, I worship God today, oh, good for you, and then the rest of my day is, has nothing to do with Him or His Word or His way or His will. That, you're, not, you're not living the Christian way of life. You're just, you might as well be just, you know, you're just going through a ritual. The, the Christian way of life demands that we overcome our sins and weaknesses and walk with him in holiness, and yet we fall along the way. We fall too much. But we recover and we walk with him. We recover and we walk with him. And we get better and better at this. <clears throat> so I imagine that in Israel, one of, the, one of the top reasons for worshiping false gods is that the false gods don't demand that. The false gods don't demand holy array. I mean, they do of their priests, but those are just clothes. They don't demand it in your heart. In fact, they demand and allow the opposite. In idol worship, there's all kinds of fleshly, immoral, uh, bodily um, 
uh, what's the word, stimulating stuff. Drugs, alcohol, sex, and on and on. And this is encouraged. So I can actually worship the God and not have to worry about that painful, pesky problem of overcoming the flesh. In fact, it feeds the flesh. And who's born in the flesh? Everybody. So, all of us have something to overcome, don't we? Did any of us come into the Christian way of life and say, wow, this is just easy. Growing to maturity, loving my neighbor as myself, controlling my lusts and desires, being righteous, practicing righteousness, forgiving. Ah, it's a piece of cake. It was just easy from the get-go. Not a one. Not even the great Apostle Paul, who, thank the Lord, gives us Romans 7, 14 through 26, to say what a wretched man that I am. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ my Lord, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of us have work to do. But our work, so uh, our work is not like what happened You see, because of their idol worship and their immorality, Israel went into captivity. And Israel woke up. And actually, it seems to happen that whatever happens to Israel happens a lot to the rest of the world. They're like the forerunner. Uh, But anyway, um, people caught on, Israel caught on, and they threw away their idols. And when they returned to the land... You know, with, especially with uh, Ezra starting to read the law again. Uh, <clears throat> they return to the land and they, they set off to overcome the flesh so that they could worship God properly. But Satan had a wise and wily counterattack. Satan would heartily encourage them to overcome the flesh, but to do it with the flesh. And Satan, Satan must have really thought he, he came onto something. Of course, he knew it existed. If I'm going to overcome my fleshly desires with my flesh, meaning by myself, then I, le- I am led into self-righteous pride. And that, you know, as they say, if Satan can cure you of a cold and give you cancer, he would love to. If you can get cured of some immoral sin and then get infected with self-righteous pride, all the better. And that's what happened to Israel. And then Satan brought a new religion into town. Islam, the Muslim religion. Is that based on grace? Oh, no. At the same premise in Islam, to control the flesh by the flesh. Be filled with pride. Salvation by works, right? Fills man with pride. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into a world that was filled to the rafters with both kinds. The Gentiles in the Roman Empire were immoral. The Jews were moral and self-righteous. <clears throat> so, what do we do? I mean, it, lo- it sounds like both roads are closed, right? I, I can't give in to the flesh and worship God. I can't control my flesh by my flesh, 
If I get any success, I'm just going to turn into a self-righteous prig. And then we find in God's word that he has always shown us the way. We must overcome the flesh so that we can worship him from holiness. We must. We don't throw away that, that um, ideal. It must happen. But we do so through faith in God's grace, mercy, truth, and the Holy Spirit. It is faith. We learn of him while we're sinners. And then we long for him. We long for his strength, for his wisdom, for his conviction. We pray about these. We study about them. We understand that his strength, wisdom, and even the conviction to truly live this life all are a gift from him, and we rely upon it. We rely upon him. We hope in him. And you see, we do overcome, but not from our flesh, but by the grace of God. And the grace of God doesn't mean that we do nothing, nor does it mean we just do a bunch of stuff to be busy, you know, doing stuff for the sake of doing. But what we do is we rely upon him, we wait for him, we search for him, and we follow him. So the focus on the thunderstorm is in an interesting place. The psalmist traces the movement of the storm to Lebanon and Syria, as you see there. So that is, again, Israel's enemy. They have the false gods. And then one of their false gods, one of their main guy, is this dude, Baal, but also known as Hadad. I don't know how they pronounce it. I don't really care. But uh, Hadad is, Baal, is the storm god. And what you see there is an idol that was found just a few feet from the temple of Baal in Syria. It was found in 1932. The one on your right is a replica. I just put that one on there. You can buy the replica on like Amazon. So if you want to be a Baal storm god worshiper or the with a new idol. Uh, the old idol is in the Louvre in Paris, and that's from, uh, they date it from 1500 to 1800 B.C. So that's around 1500 B.C. is about 100 years before Moses moved in. Uh, but notice, what has he got? He's got a uh, club above his head that he banged on things. That was thunder. And in his staff, are lightning bolts coming out, and he's walking on water. And this may have something to do with Jesus walking on water because we find find here, where does God put his storm down? He puts it right down on top of the place of the storm God. So, Amet, you picture this. There's this little guy who thinks he's everything. He thinks he's God, and he's got his club, and he's got his lightning bolts coming out of his staff and he's walking on water and he's all cool and here comes God's storm and it just falls on top of him and crushes him. And this God does a bunch in the Old Testament. He does it in the New. He takes the things that we think are strong and he tells us that Those things are not me, they're created by me. Right? So, what are our idols? Modern, like, no one's worshiping this guy anymore. But we're worshiping what he offered, which was wealth, power, 
sex, entertainment, stimulation, uh, whatever. And we say, God, you know, here's how we worship them. We say, you know, if I have enough money, I'll be good, I'll be strong, I'll be fulfilled. If I get enough sex, I'll be good, I'll be, I'll be fulfilled. If I get enough drugs and alcohol, I'll be good, I'll be fulfilled. If I get enough power or enough uh, people loving me, approbation, whatever. And God says to us, does he say that those things are absolutely wrong, you should have none of them? No, he doesn't. He says, I made those things. Those things are not me. And I will crush those things in your life if you worship them. And eventually he does. I mean, what person who's been a worshiper of money has actually gotten to the end and said, you know, my life was just one big fulfillment. Now they get miserable. And isn't it interesting that when you give in to these gods, which in our era is the money and the sex, and you need more and more and more and more. You're... You actually open up. You know, remember how uh, uh, in in Pharaoh in Egypt that God had hardened his heart. But the first of the first five plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, his own heart. And Pharaoh's heart got so hard that all God had to do was allow him to continue. And in that way. God was hardening his heart. God was bringing in the situations where Pharaoh would just continue to go down this road of hardness. And God does it to all idol worshipers. He's not hardening us on purpose because, like, he's mad. It's that that we have gone far enough that we've gone to a we we have gone to a place where the addiction in whatever it is needs more. This guy is addiction. Right? He's the worship of the world. And whatever part of the world that we're a human being gets addicted to. And God flops his storm right on top of his head. And what is what are they proud of in this part of the world? That sorry. In that part of the world. What are they proud of? Cedars. We have the best cedars in the world. Like, what are we proud of here in Oregon? Christmas trees? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been here long enough to... A lot of wineries? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, whatever we're proud of. Uh, nothing, you know, and is there anything wrong with... If you're look, I have, look at this huge cedar that I grew. Not, there's nothing wrong with that. Be proud of it all you want. But if you think that that is, you know, something that fulfills or gives power and that, you know, I don't need God. I have cedars, you know, ridiculous. So go to Isaiah 42, just to look at this real quick. I knew I was not going to, I was going to run out of time here. Oh, uh, it is also written... In their Canaanite texts refer to, and I don't know if, the, I didn't count them, it's, it's hard to see, but they write of his seven peals of thunder that come from Baal. Every time it rained in that part of the world at that time, and there was a thunderstorm, they'd say, ah, Baal is out, you know, he's, he's out and about. 
And he, it was written about him that he has seven peals of thunder. How many times in this psalm do, do we read the voice of the Lord? Seven times. And it's like, Baal has seven thunders. And God says, here's seven voices from me. And, and again, what God is doing here is not like getting into the boxing ring with Baal. Baal is, is a nobody. It, he's actually real. There's demons behind it. But what God is saying to us, this is a message to us, to the human race. You're worshiping these things. But these things are from me. They're valueless without me. I will fulfill you. But if you think those things are power and those things are joy and those things are love and those things are peace, you, you don't understand. And hence, when we pray a psalm like this, and we understand, like say, hey, remember from Bible class that this had something to do with idol worship. And you can say in your prayer, what are my idols? And look, and if you're talk with God, you come to the conclusion, I don't have any. Praise God. I would say, good for you. Or maybe, what idols have I had that are just like, all my weaknesses are just lying under the surface, right? We, you know, these things are buried by Christ, but in our lives, how far under are they buried? Like a hundred feet deep. You know, some of my weaknesses are about under the, just under the topsoil. Right? It only takes like a puff of wind for them to sprout their head up and say, "Hey, Joe, what do you think?" You know, little bastards. We think power comes from man, from Washington. Washington has a lot of power. There's a lot of money in that town. Boy, we were just there a couple of weeks ago. I, I couldn't believe it. it. And it makes you proud to be an American. Those, those monuments are amazing. Amazing. And then you think of all the people who are there. So many for the wrong reason. Um, power comes from people power comes from machines power comes from militaries power comes from money and influence and God but God takes all the credit for the mighty storm Isaiah 42.17 they will turn back and be utterly put to shame who trust in idols who say to molten images you are our gods they shall be put to shame. And look, idol worship isn't gone. It's just a, a different name. Different, uh, the idols are a different shape. And Christians are not immune. So go to 46, Isaiah 46, look at verse 5. See how God, God talks about, especially in this passage, and there's a, there's a few that are like this. There's a beautiful one in Isaiah 44 that has a bit of a, bit of comedy to it, but Isaiah 46 verse 5 says, to whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we should be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on a scale, on the scale, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, they bow down, indeed they worship it. They lift it up on their shoulder and carry it. What does that imply? They pick it up and carry it. Uh, this is always my favorite part that God says about idols. He always says they're blind, they can't see, they can't talk, they can't hear, 
and here they can't walk. They got to be—it's like they got to be carried. You bowed down and worship it, and then you carried it. God saying, "Hello, anybody home?" They lift it upon their shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it does not answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. There's great other passages where, where Israel's in distress and God says, well, go ask the gods you've been worshiping to help you out. See how they do. It's, there are great passages on this. Notice that God attributes to the idol what it can't do, what he does. Right? So he could just say, look, this thing's not real. It's stupid. It's material. It doesn't have innards. It doesn't even have a brain. But no, what he says is, look what it can't do that I do. That I do infinitely good. And the same with the storm. The storm's going to land on Baal's head. And his seven peals of thunder are going to be God's seven uh, voice of the Lord. And... So, focusing again on prayer, now that we know that there is an underlying theme, God is crushing idols and showing himself as the only source of power that can give peace to his own people. We should find ourselves exploring with God in prayer as to the identity of our own idols so that we can drag them out into his light for him to crush them. That's the beginning. It doesn't mean you're going to overcome tomorrow when you bring this stuff and I, I mean, honestly and openly, bring it to God. I know God already knows about it, but what has to happen with these weaknesses, and it has to happen on a very real level, knowing that you are talking to a real God who wants to really overcome, who wants, really wants your good, and who is very much listening. And... To bring to him. And so what you're doing is saying, look, here's this thing that I've been hiding in the recesses of my soul. I haven't been, I've been given into, but I haven't been really dealing with. I'm going to take it out and I'm going to set it between me and you. Me and you. I'm going to set it here between us and you and I are going to tackle this. Not by prayer alone, but through your word, but also in prayer. Hence, in Jesus's teaching us prayer. <clears throat> Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Which really, iniquities, if we, com- if we combine uh, Luke and Matthew, it's forgive us our iniquities and our debts. Iniquities and debts as we forgive our debtors. That, that petition is us. We know we're forgiven. Which is why we can confidently take this stuff out. Idols, areas of weakness, personal sins, all of it. We can take it out and lay it on the table between us and God. And say, I know I'm forgiven, so I'm not afraid to put this here. Because you're the, you have the storm that can break cedars into pieces. You probably should break me to pieces, but I know you're not going to. So let's deal with this. And get it out there. And search and see. We, he's gonna if if we don't see the solutions clearly and see how wonderful the solutions are, 
then we're not going to choose for it. We still have to choose. God's not going to just knock it off the table and say, well, thanks for bringing it out. Now I'm going to like just get rid of it. He's not going to do that. He's going to help you and I to see how and, and get us to really want to, how to overcome it. He's going, and, and this is his will. Right? It's, it's here. It's right there in Psalm 29. It's in a bunch of others. And since I found it here in the psalm, I know that when I'm asking this and praying this, that this is absolutely sanctioned and blessed by the Father. And so I know this isn't a prayer that he's, you know, I don't, is it, is it right? Is it in your will? Is it the right words? You can say yes, yes, and yes, because it's right here in his inspired word. Our idols, money, sex, power, alcohol, drugs, entertainment, sports. Yeah, I just have been watching the show called uh, about a soccer team, and the last the last episode was about uh, the it's about soccer teams in England and in Wales. And they, uh, every soccer team in their city has a group of people. Who all they want to do is go to the game and fight. And they call them hooligans. Um, that's their, everybody in England knows who a hooligan is. And it's derived from an Irish guy who was named hooligan. <laughs> Figures. <laughs> Somebody who liked to get drunk and fight. <laughs> Welcome to Ireland. So anyway, um, what else? The more hidden things that you can hide a little bit more and you say, well, you know, are these, are these idols bitterness, hatred, hatred for someone, fear, anxiety, self-pity, legalism, judging? Can you make an idol out of bitterness? Yeah. You know what? People come to love their bitterness. They come to love their self-pity. Even though it hurts, they come to love it. It becomes their idol. They, they gain this self-power from it, so they think. And it's, what does the Father want to do? Break us free. Break us free. The storm comes in to bust it to pieces. And that's why you have the storm in the psalm, and you also have God gives his people peace. The storm is breaking my idols. And this leads us into a wonderful... Thing of prayer, which we can't finish because I'm over time. Uh, there's one other one in Psalm 104. I may mention it quickly, maybe Sunday, maybe later, but if you want to check it out, it's uh, one of my favorites. Uh, you know, I'm kind of saying that all the Psalms now, but Psalm 104 is about God's creation, and it is Psalm 104. When you read it through, it will show you how busy God is on a day by day basis. Like, He's doing a lot. And it's just wonderful. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you and you alone are the creator. And that as our creator, you are the one that has all power. You are the one that provides for us what we need. We all have, all of us have weaknesses, Father, areas of sin, idols that are either active or just under the surface lurking. And lead us, Father, in our prayer lives and in our study to overcome, to overcome our weaknesses, to overcome those idols, and to rely upon your grace to do it, not to do it by our will, but by your will. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.